My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days for Jesus being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his reception there. But they would not welcome him because the destination of his journey was Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed to another village. As they were proceeding on their journey, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. And to another he said, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But he answered him, Let the dead bury their dead. But you... Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say a farewell to my family at home. To him, Jesus said, No one who sets a hand to the plow and looks to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. The gospel of the Lord. When I started seminary some 27 years ago, of the many things to get acclimated to rather quickly was the wide variety of opinions on, of all things, church music. Being an amateur piano player and the number of men being able to play the organ being few and far between, I was assigned to help plan music for mass and for daily prayer. And it wasn't until I had to sit in on some of these meetings and planning discussions that I even knew that there could be some very deeply held opinions on hymns. Some might have just been subjective. A person simply didn't like a particular song. Some might have made a, a musical argument. I remember one person pointing out that On Eagle's Wings starts with this impossibly high note, making it very difficult for people to sing. Some, you didn't know if the person was joking, like this one priest who said that he didn't like Amazing Grace because he didn't consider himself to be a poor wretch. One argument that stayed with me over the decades, though, was over the hymn, All Are Welcome. Now, I forget where I had first heard that sung, but the, the melody was catchy, the words seemed very warm and inviting, and the refrain was certainly easy to remember, all are welcome, all are welcome, all are welcome in this place. I couldn't imagine that that could be considered a controversial hymn. Why would people have a problem with that? And I admit that I kind of tuned out the, the critics dismissing them because they were coming across as being very exclusive and very closed off and almost isolationist. But over the decades, as I've seen those words, all are welcome, being adopted as a model for some churches and some using that hymn in different contexts, it's made me kind of reconsider some of those critiques. Because while it's true, 
Jesus has come to save humanity from sin and death. And that, that's a universal offer. It's a universal invitation. It's something that he desires for all humanity, that indeed all are welcome to. Jesus is not some easy pass that we possess that we can just simply drive any way we like to right into heaven. And that's something that I think we can all fall into to thinking about our faith lives and what some incorrectly promote. At the heart of our scriptures today, we hear how God calls humanity to follow him. But there's an expectation of commitment and change on the part of those being invited. In the first reading, we hear about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was this major prophet from the Old Testament who was getting up in years and whose service was coming to an end. And God had directed him to go to Elisha to appoint him to be his successor. And hearing the passage and some of that dialogue might have sounded a little bit strange with that back and forth between the two of them. But basically, Elisha recognizes that this call that he's received is going to change everything for him. He's going to need to leave father and mother behind. He's going to need to leave the life he knew before behind. And that's what we heard in very dramatic fashion. He basically burns up his entire livelihood, tens of thousands of dollars of equipment for plowing, and throws this feast where he, he basically kills all of his livestock and, and it throws this abundant banquet. He's basically divesting all that he has and saying goodbye to all that he's ever known. He's making it clear he's never coming back to this life that he knew before. Everything was changing with this encounter with Elijah, who's enlisting him into service as God's prophet. And similarly, in this gospel, we have some pretty dramatic things that are happening in that dialogue and that, that travel narrative. Jesus starts out in, in Samaria, which is the last place that his Jewish followers would expect to be finding the Messiah. The Samaritans had been considered the long-lost, misguided family members of the Jews. More than that, at that point in the history, they were considered their enemies. That's why John and James begin by suggesting, let's call down fire on them. They're thinking they're being helpful. They're thinking that the Lord wants to send a message of judgment. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Hebrew Scriptures and all those hopes and dreams that were carried in them. So they're thinking that being in this place that had rejected that, that Jesus is coming to usher in this, this final judgment. And Jesus rebukes them for this. He's there to bring his love and his mercy to offer them the ones considered hopeless this opportunity to be part of God's kingdom. So people rightly point to this as an example of Jesus loving sinners, going to the lost, which he does. He's going to the very ones and saying he sees and he knows and he loves them. And indeed, all are welcome. But he doesn't capitulate to their resistance. He doesn't accept their lack of welcome. He doesn't try to go along to get along with them in their culture, in their misguided beliefs, in their actions. What does he do? He leaves that place. 
And as he continues moving along, he continues to reach out to people. He keeps inviting them to come to follow him. But he's expecting that same type of response we see from Elisha in the first reading, a complete and radical shift of priorities. And St. Luke captures this back and forth with some individuals that come along the way who are worrying about logistics, who put up somewhat seemingly reasonable requests. Let me bury my father first. Let me say farewell to my family at home. And the responses kind of stun us. Let the dead bury the dead? Jesus really isn't going to let him go to a funeral? And isn't it disrespectful to not at least say goodbye to your family? The reality is that those requests are more general kind of things. They more likely meant, I'll follow you once my father has died. Let me just tie up some loose ends and then I can come follow you. It's kind of like when we hear people throw out an uncommitted, someday I'm going to go do that. Jesus isn't offering some power of positive thinking, life coaching seminar that he's trying to get people to sign up for. And the Gospels and the Bible isn't a book that someday we should just think about and consider among all the other things that we read and take in and selectively pick the parts we like to hear and apply them to our life. We're not doing him a favor by following him or even our being here. Discipleship means we recognize Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life that he can teach us how to navigate the confusing and challenging things that we encounter in this world in order to experience fullness of life now and for all eternity. So, for example, yes, Jesus loves the Samaritans. He's going to them and making it clear that their sins and their errors have not disqualified them from being a part of the kingdom of God. But he's not telling the Samaritans, it's okay that you're in error about your beliefs and that you've corrupted Jewish teachings. He wants the Samaritans, he wants all those of the other villages that he's passing through to come follow him, not on their terms, but on his, which is the same now as it was then. We know all too well the tension and the division that's been growing in our nation over a seemingly growing number of topics. And yes, there's something noble about that impulse to try to calm all that angry rhetoric down and to promote unity, but not at the expense of the truth. As Catholic Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we have to recognize that following him supersedes any of my personal preferences and desires. It's more important than a political party, of race, or nationality. The call to follow Jesus isn't about cherry-picking and editing things to fit our narratives, but rather knowing that he's come to save us from ourselves, to transform our brokenness, and to give us new life. Jesus' invitation and the call is indeed a universal one that all are welcome to, but on his terms not ours.